when in the course of human history, <clears throat> it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them to another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel this separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are institu instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter and abolish it, to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown, by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed, while evil is sufferable, men are more likely to acquiesce and suffer evil. But when the long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, invinces the design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and provide new guards for their security. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name of and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these United States colonies are and are of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are resolved from all allegiance to the British crown, that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. That as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and do other acts and things which all independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Happy 245th birthday, America. It's good that we are here on the 4th of July at Glendale Christian Church, able to worship freely God Almighty. Yes, on the 4th of July, 245 years ago, in the year 1776, the United States of America was born. Not in the year 1619 or any other date, July 4th, 1776. The Declaration of Independence, shortly followed up by the Constitution of the United States of America and quickly followed by the Bill of Rights, are the foundational documents of these United States of America. And they have as their foundation God's truth. Our republic, and that's what we are, we are a constitutional republic, and our republic is in fact the oldest form of government still in existence today. There is no country on earth that has a longer than 245-year stretch of continual governance. Even England switched from a straight monarchy to a constitutional monarchy. There is no country that has had the same form of government in the world today as the United States of America. 
And when I see the flag of the United States, or I hear the Declaration of Independence recited, or I hear our nation's anthem, I get a swell of patriotism. And patriotism is a good thing to have. Patriotism is a love for country and a willingness to sacrifice for its good. We love America. And we hear people say, oh, we love America. But the question before us is this. Do we really love America? Do we sacrifice for its good? Do we love America or do we love the freedom that America offers? In this world, there are are lots of people who do not love America, but they love the freedom that she offers. And if you merely love the freedom that America offers, but you are not willing to sacrifice for its good, then patriotism is not in your heart. What should it be for the Christian's heart? Here we are at Glendale Christian Church, worshiping God, having just taken communion, celebrating the glory of what the Lord has done. What role does patriotism play for the Christian? Well, we must make sure that our patriotism is biblical. Biblical simply means that which is informed by the Bible. And everything we do here at Glendale Christian Church is in fact informed by the Bible. Let me make this abundantly clear. While I love America, I am not calling for blind patriotism, but rather for biblical patriotism. Here at GCC, we are all about biblical fidelity to discipleship, which involves invitation, transformation of the head, the heart, and the hands, and reduplication, where we make disciples, where we seek to be father-willed, Christ-compelled, spirit-led. Everything we do is based on the foundation of the Bible, and therefore, we want to grow in biblical literacy. Therefore, we want to emphasize biblical masculinity, and we want to demonstrate biblical patriotism, for these are the hallmarks of Glendale Christian Church's understanding of Christ-like discipleship. So what does the Bible have to say about patriotism? About nations? About countries? Jesus gives us a very clear guiding principle for all that we should do in life. One of the great sayings that Jesus recited was from Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 where Jesus says seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. When we seek first God's kingdom we recognize instantly that we have but one king, one lord, one master because we serve the one and only God of the universe. My loyalty therefore is to Jesus Christ it is to his kingdom that I place my highest allegiance. And yet, on this Independence Day, we patriotically celebrate America and the liberty it affords us as her citizens. But far, far more importantly, biblically, we patriotically celebrate our heavenly country, the kingdom of God. Biblical patriotism, therefore, is loyalty first to my heavenly country, then to my earthly country. Do not ever confuse these, and do not ever invert these, for our first allegiance is always to God, 
and to his kingdom. Our loyalty must be to our heavenly country and then to our earthly country. But there is biblical support for the idea of patriotism, and it begins with the recognition that God Almighty has established each and every nation on earth. In fact, speaking to the most educated philosophers in all the world, the Apostle Paul says in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 24 through 27, that the God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not need to live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life to everyone and breath to everything else. From one man, God made all nations, that they should inherit the whole earth, and that and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries for their lands. God did this so that the world would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. God made all nations. And we who seek first God's kingdom are pilgrims and sojourners in our earthly countries. Hebrews chapter 11 describes the great patriarchs of the Old Testament. And verses 13 through 16 say these words. All the patriarchs were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were pilgrims and sojourners on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been looking, if they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, rather, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. We long for a better country, a heavenly country. I am a pilgrim, I am a sojourner here on earth who seeks a heavenly country, as did my forefathers in the faith. Can you say such things? After all, people who say such things, that they are pilgrims and sojourners here on earth, can you say such things? Do you know that even though you live in the most free country that has ever been, you're still a pilgrim and sojourner here? Only temporarily here while on your way to God's kingdom? Biblically speaking, therefore, we may love our country, but our citizenship is in heaven. And the Bible tells us this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we're told that we are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We have dual citizenship. Since we are ultimately citizens of heaven, our lives should reflect this higher loyalty. We should actually live as obedient citizens of heaven, no matter how the mere citizens of any particular earthly country may live all around us. After all, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. This means that we demonstrate our allegiance to our heavenly king. It means loving our heavenly country and being willing to sacrifice for it, even when doing so puts us at odds with those who are merely citizens of this earthly country. And there are many things that put us at odds with those who are merely citizens of this earthly country. I think about some of the things happening in the world today. How sexuality is so warped and aberrant 
in society's mind's eye today. How we're taught that premarital sex is fine. We're taught that homosexual activity is fine. They've dedicated the entire month of June to talking about aberrant sexuality under the guise of Pride Month. We live in a world where those who are merely citizens of this country or another country are advocating morals that are not in line with God's righteousness. And therefore, what we must do when we find ourselves at odds with those who are merely citizens of earthly countries is to stand for our heavenly country and be willing to sacrifice for it. And that means if you ask me to do your wedding and you're sleeping with your girlfriend, I'll say no. Oh, you're living together? I will not marry you. I'm sorry. I, I, I won't do that because I want to hold to God's righteousness. Just like I will say, oh, somebody who's involved in LGBTQI or any other of the letters that they attach to aberrant sexuality is living in sin and ought not to live that way. These are consistent positions. But the world would have us believe that God is old-fashioned and that we need to move beyond the Bible. No, 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 no. The founding charter for our country, our heavenly country, is God's perfect word. We will stand on it, and I am willing to sacrifice for it. And we need to be willing to sacrifice for it. Because all around us, our children are taught not only is sexuality something that's okay if we deviate from the truth, but they're taught that we should divide people based on immutable characteristics and qualities like skin color or gender or ability. That we're taught in school systems the false ideology known as critical race theory. The idea that certain groups are oppressive merely because they belong to a group and others are oppressed merely because they belong to a different group. And the way they divide groups is just based on what you look like. If you're black, you're oppressed. And if you're white, you're an oppressor. Why well, do not buy into this false notion, this false dichotomy, and this false ideology based on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on the philosophy of Christ? I stand on the philosophy of Christ. And I recognize full well that all men are created equal, that God has created male and female in his image, and there is actually only one race. There is the human race. And I will not acquiesce to those who say, as a white person, you are inherently responsible for the degradation of those who are non-white. Ridiculousness. In Christ, there's neither male nor female, Greek nor Jew, barbarian nor Scythian, but all are one. Fall in love with the true king and recognize that we all stand equally before him. In fact, we all bow equally before him. And we need to be willing to sacrifice for it because we live in a world that celebrates death, not life. The world in which we live celebrates death. Abortion is something that people are willing to fight you over. And they'll say, no, no, it needs to be my right to murder my baby, but it doesn't count as murder because I've killed that baby before it's technically outside of my body. It does not matter. It is still not your body. It is not a matter of women's reproductive right. It is a matter of sinful, vainglory, murderous rage. It is not godly in any way, shape, or form. And if we who pledge allegiance to our higher heavenly kingdom are not willing to sacrifice for the truth of it and stand against those who are merely citizens of earthly countries and stand firmly against abortion, then what are we doing? 
we must be willing to sacrifice because our citizenship is in heaven. But not just that, we're Christ's ambassadors. And if we are Christ's ambassadors, then that means we have a job to do. And our job as an ambassador is to share the king's foreign policy with the land to which we're ambassadoring. That's our job. And as citizens of the United States of America, dual citizenship in heaven, it is our job as Christians, as Christ's ambassador, to share King Jesus' foreign policy with everyone in our earthly country. For that's the foreign policy of the king. And the ambassador must share and uphold the foreign policy of the king. That is our job. And God's foreign policy is pretty clear. Reconciliation. Reconciliation is the foreign policy of the king. And what we must do to be good ambassadors of our heavenly country is to promote the idea of reconciliation. Reconciliation is the idea of bringing things together. And this is very important for when God created humankind, the perfect triune God created mankind in his own image, but humankind sinned and was therefore separated from God. And the process of reconciliation is coming back to God. And the way that we get back to God is by understanding that only God himself has made a way. In fact, the very next verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says, God who made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So the great foreign policy of King Jesus is the cosmic switch. You who are sinful and separated from God, and Jesus, who is perfect and righteous because he is God in the flesh, will trade places. He will bear your sinfulness on the cross. And he'll take the punishment that you deserve, that I deserve. And then we, by placing our faith in him, are covered by his perfect righteousness. And now I'm reconciled with God. By placing faith in what Jesus has done on the cross and being raised from the dead, I stand justified before God Almighty. And Christ's righteousness covers me, which allows me to confidently stand before the throne of God. As ambassador to the United States of America, citizen of heaven, Andrew Kirshner can stand confidently before the throne of God. Not because of anything good I have done, because I have done nothing good but because of everything good he has done, which covers me so perfectly that I stand right before God. This is the foreign policy. And there is a particular biblical text that I want to bring your attention to today, which encompasses, I think, how we can take the foreign policy of the king, our citizenship in heaven, blend these things together with our citizenship on earth. And it is found in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, says these words. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and tranquil lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Did you know that when this was written, the Apostle Paul wrote this to his protege, Timothy, and early Christians were often accused of undermining the state of Rome because they claimed an even higher Lord than Caesar. This made Rome really, really mad, and Rome wanted Christians to pray to Caesar. And Christians would say, no, 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 we won't pray to Caesar. We're good citizens because we pray for Caesar. 
The Bible tells us to pray for everyone, for kings, for everyone in authority, that we may live peaceful and tranquil lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Because he wants everyone to come to a knowledge of God. He wants everyone to be saved. So while the early Christians were accused of being bad citizens, they said, no, no, no. We're not bad citizens because we won't pray to Caesar. We're good citizens because we pray for Caesar. This is a very important point. We should pray for the government and for the rulers. And specifically, we should pray in a couple of different ways. We should pray that they would leave us alone and let us live our lives as Christians. Christians are not to look for special favors from the government. Our goal is a level playing field, unrestricted by state intervention. Peaceful and tranquil lives is the goal because this produces godliness and holiness. Now, we're not wanting to cause a ruckus all the time. We want to worship God in peace and tranquility. And if the government says, you guys can just go worship any way you want, very well. We will worship in peace and tranquility. And the godliness and holiness that comes out will be seen as evidence of God's blessing on our lives and people will want to come to the Lord. But when we do not get to live in peace and tranquility because our doors are kicked down or chained up or locked or we are arrested or castigated or persecuted, the tranquil, peaceful lives of Christianity cannot happen. So we need to pray for this. Pray that the government would have no say-so in how we do church, period. The government has nothing to do with how we do church. No government should tell the assembly of God's people when, where, how, in what fashion, or in any way they can or cannot meet to worship God Almighty. It is not the purview of the government at all. And we must pray for our government. And we must pray for kings and rulers and everybody in authority that they would leave us alone. Pray, first of all, that they would just leave us alone. Leave us alone to do God's will, to be Father-willed, Christ-compelled, Spirit-led disciple-makers. That's what we pray, first of all. But that's not the only thing we pray. We also pray that they would come to a knowledge of the truth. We want them to know the truth because we're not just citizens of earthly nations, but we are actually ambassadors to those nations. And we want the government and every citizen in the country in which we reside to know the truth of God. God desires that all people will be saved. And there is no one in so high authority that they don't need salvation in Jesus Christ. I don't care if you're the leader of the free world. If you do not know Jesus, you need to know Jesus. For you may be leader of the free world in an earthly sense, but you are only that way because he allows you to be, and you will bow before him. So it is very prudent of you to bow before him now, before you are forced later. So how can we, Christians, who live here in the United States of America, and this is a sermon dedicated to Christians in America, this is different if you are a Christian anywhere else in the world, but we who are Christians here in America, how can we be biblically patriotic? Well, one of the ways we can be biblically patriotic is to pray. Thankfully, and evangelistically. 
I want you to thank God that you live in the United States of America. I want you to thank God for the freedom that you have and enjoy. Freedom facilitates the spread of the gospel better than any other condition. This is the truth. If you stack freedom up against persecution or up against communism or totalitarianism, and you say, which condition facilitates the greater spread of the gospel? Freedom is the most glorious way to spread the gospel. Freedom is the way to spread the gospel. But there are some Christians who like to say, well, you know, hey, we would do really great under persecution. And I say, no, no, be very careful for this. Be very, very careful for this. If it's God's will to suffer for doing good, that's better than to suffer for doing bad. But listen to me very, very carefully. Jesus said that there are many who take quick acceptance of the gospel. They receive it with great joy. But when persecution or trouble comes, they quickly fall away because they have no deep root. You do not want to test the depths of your root against persecution. And here's how I know. Because in America, if Christians in the most free society that has ever existed are having a difficult time making disciples when the bar for making disciples is way down here because freedom exists everywhere, imagine the bar for making disciples being way up here under persecution. If you can't hop over this one, you suddenly think you're going to be able to jump over that one. No, no, no. It might force those who are truly devoted to become truly radical because their, deep, their roots are truly deep, but most will just flake away. There is a better chance for the gospel to spread under freedom than anywhere else. This is what we must pray for, freedom so that the gospel can continue. But then as we pray, we must pray evangelistically because we have to pray for those in authority and it should always have an evangelistic purpose. Our real goal is that they would come under the authority of Jesus and make decisions allowing the gospel to have the free course it needs to be glorified and spread. So here's how I want you to pray evangelistically. Pray that the leaders would come to Christ and pray that revival would sweep this land. Pray that revival would sweep through this land. It's very, very important because if we pray for the salvation and revival of our nation, we must be willing then, therefore, as biblical patriots, patriots of our heavenly country, to sacrifice for our heavenly country's good, and we must follow that prayer up with action. It's head, heart, and hands, and we need to get out there with our hands, and we need to follow it up by inviting people to church, sharing the gospel with them directly, going where they are, not just inviting them to us, going to the places where non-Christians are, taking the gospel there, and doing the hard work of sharing it, defending it, explaining it, and introducing them to godly people and godly practices. That's what we have to do. It does no good to pray for God to sweep revival when you're the one holding the broom. How does God work in this world? Through his presence, his word, and his people. And if his people remain on the sidelines and do nothing, the world around us will continue to turn a blind eye to his word. And they will ignore his presence. For God wants to use his people as well. So pray thankfully that you're in America. Pray evangelistically for our leaders and for revival. But how else can we be biblically patriotic Americans? Well, we can submit. We can submit. Romans 13 tells us that we must submit to the governing authorities. And so I'm going to let you in on the great little secret. The governing authority of the United States of America, are you ready for it? 
is the Constitution. It is not the president. It is not the governor. It is not the mayor. It is the Constitution. For when the president, governor, and mayor swear an oath, they do so on the Bible to uphold and defend the Constitution. They have power because the Constitution of the United States vests it in the individual. The office has no power. The Constitution has power. And so we are to submit to the governing authorities. That's absolutely right. We must submit to the governing authorities. And the governing authority for the United States of America is the Constitution of the United States of America. And so all authority that every representative in our republic has is from the Constitution, not from their office. So when we pledge our allegiance to our earthly country under God, I can do so gladly. And you and I can serve our country insofar as that service does not conflict with our primary allegiance to God. But when it does conflict, it is our obligation to civilly disobey. Just like in the book of Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5, when the apostles were told, stop preaching in the name of Jesus, they said, no, we're not going to stop that. And they got chucked in jail and beaten and flogged and almost killed. And when they got out because of a miraculous angelic jailbreak, they went right back to preaching in the name of Jesus. And they got arrested again, and they said, we told you guys, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they said, no, 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 we're not going to do it. Judge for yourselves whether it's right to obey men rather than God. We will obey God. Well, very good. If ever the government tells you that you can't do what God tells you to do or tells you to do what God says not to do, you say no. You say no, I'm sorry. We can't do that. And here in the United States of America, it's built into the system it's built into the system. We have the First Amendment, and so we have it built into the Bill of Rights. The government shall establish no religion, and so the government doesn't get to tell us how to do religion. And so if the government says, no, you guys can't meet anymore, we can say, yes, we can. You don't get to tell us when we get to meet. That, that this is not under the purview of Caesar. The governing authority literally says that you can't do what you're doing, so stop. It's not blind submission to the human. No, no, no. It is upholding the document which is founded on the truth of God. And so if they ever try to shut us down again, we should say no. No, I don't, I don't care if there's uh, an outbreak again or a Delta variant or a zombie apocalypse. If they say, you got to shut the doors, we should say respectfully, no. No, I don't want to. I'm not going to. I'm going to come preach live in person until I'm fired, arrested, or killed. That's it. we got to go down one of those three roads. Because I'm convicted that we said, okay, well, we'll do what you say, and then they just kept going. And they kept trying to take a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, and they overstepped their constitutional powers. We just have to say politely, no, from the beginning next time. What happens when they come and they say, oh, you can't give that sermon anymore because you're saying that homosexuality is not okay and it totally is okay and the Bible's out of date and you're going to be arrested for preaching it. Okay, well, I'm going to keep preaching Romans 1 and I'm going to keep preaching about how people have given up the truth of God for lies and have embraced false aberrant sexuality and you can arrest me and you can take me all the way to jail. We're not going to stop. We cannot stop, for submitting does not mean doing whatever the earthly government says. After all, we're citizens of heaven, and so we do what God says. But even on earth, our authority says we can do what we need to do. 
So, submit appropriately to the governing authority. God, his will, his Bible, earthly, the Constitution. Well, how else can we do it? Well, we can sacrifice. We can sacrifice. We need to shed inaction. The time for inaction is long past. We need to vote, we need to serve, and we need to support. We need to get out there. No more sitting on the sidelines. And so, we need to get out there on these issues. Social issues. Abortion, critical race theory, aberrant sexuality. Oh, we have to. And in fact, on, on July 27th, I'm going to be part, uh, it's a Tuesday, I'm going to be part of an open forum um, town hall meeting about critical race theory. And I'm taking the Christian pastor position and the academic position because I taught at the university level, I saw critical race theory coming in, and I'm addressing the open town hall from the perspective of a minister and an academic. I'm very excited to get to do that. We need to do that. No more inaction. It's time to stand up. It's time to step forward. But it's not just that. We've got to vote not just in national elections, guys. We can't just vote in national or statewide elections. We've got to vote in the school board elections. We've got to get more good people on the school board because the school board is twisting and ruining our kids' lives. Now, you might think that's an overstatement. It is not an overstatement. If you allow Caesar to educate your children, they will come out good Romans. I promise. It will happen. And as they continue to get more deceptive in their ability to teach woke ideology rather than just good educational practices, we're, we're, we're fighting an uphill battle. And so we got to vote for our local school board. In fact, we, we might need somebody to run for school board. And so I need you to pray about that because maybe it's time to get out there. And we need to join. We need to encourage our young people to potentially join the military or join the police academy or join the fire academy. And if we're not going to join, then we need to support those who did join because those who serve as our first responders who take their lives into their own hands and they go and serve as police, fire, EMT, guys, man, we got to support them. Even if we're not going to be them, we need to support them. I never want my kids to grow up in a world thinking the police are the bad guys. They're not. There might be one or two bad apples in the bunch, but police, by and large, are the good guys. Thank God for them. And I want my kids to know that. I want our church to know that. I want the world to know that. And when it comes to the military, there is no conflict between serving in the military and having devotion to God. Rather, we should thank God for those who are willing to serve this nation, and we need to thank those who are still living and have served this nation. And if you have served this country, thank you. Thank you for what you have done so that I can do what I get to do. I appreciate you. Thank you. Those men who served and were willing to die to secure my continued earthly freedom gave what President Lincoln called the last full measure of devotion for their country. And I suspect that if more Christians had as much devotion to the Lord as those men had for their country, then more Christians would be better earthly citizens than they in fact are. I hope that they would join me, these Christians, in seeking to be the kind of citizens and patriots that Jesus would have us to be, one who, because we love the Lord first, is also able to love our country in self-sacrificing way. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And those who are willing to sign the paper and go be killed for my freedom are willing to sacrifice more than I was willing to sacrifice. So because I was not willing to sacrifice that much, I will at least show my support. I will support our military. Oh, yes. 
and not just the military. We need to give them a thank you, that's for sure, but we also need to support our flag, our flag, the United States of America. Now, the Pledge of Allegiance talks about the flag of the United States of America and the republic for which it stands, and so when I see the flag, I'm filled with patriotism, and I stand when it's time to give the pledge and I hear the anthem. I don't kneel. I want to respect the flag. I don't want to disrespect it, and therefore, I will stand for it. When I hear the national anthem, I won't turn my back, I won't kneel, and I won't threaten to burn a flag. You know what we could also do? We could pray for our Olympians who are, who are going off to Japan to participate in the Olympics because some of them have avowedly said, oh, I won't stand if I win a medal. And some have said, oh, I want to win a medal so I can burn the American flag on the podium. You should be kicked off the team. You're not allowed to go. If you say that's your expressed goal, you don't get to play. Also, well, never mind. <laughs> so we need to pray for our Olympians, but we also need to support our founding documents. Do you know what the Declaration of Independence says, among other things? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That's what we need to be proud of. That's why we're patriotic. Not because I like the president or dislike the president, but because I like the paper the president swears on before he goes into office. I also like the Constitution. You know what the Constitution of the United States of America says? We, the people of the United States, in order to affirm a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity, do or, and establish and ordain the Constitution of the United States of America. And then it explains how you do government. And then they followed that up with the Bill of Rights, which includes the First Amendment, my personal favorite. Congress shall establish no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. It's very clear. Don't tell me how to do church. Or the abridging of the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. It's very, very important. It's very, very important to me that when we see these things, we recognize their foundation. And their foundation, as George Washington would say, is religion and morality, because they're the pillars of civil society. Andrew Jackson said, the Bible is the rock on which our republic rests. And John Quincy Adams says, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. Yeah. Yeah, this country's founding documents have their foundation as biblical truth. And this is very, very important to me. So when we see people hating America, we need to tell them, stop. Stop hating America. Stop hating America. Stop hating the flag. Stop being afraid of it. For the flag does not represent hatred or white nationalism or the Republican Party. No, it represents valor, purity, and justice. You can't get behind that? You can't get behind that? That, that seems peculiar to me. A good ambassador, and there, there are many Christians who don't even love America, but a good ambassador won't hate his country. A good ambassador will love his country. Imagine being the ambassador to a foreign country that you hate. Do, do you think you'd be a very good ambassador? 
I hate this country so much, I'm going and I'm going to be the ambassador there. No, you would not be a good ambassador. While ours is not a perfect nation, it is not deserving of hate. America ended internal slavery ratifying the 13th Amendment, provides equal protection under the law, and affords more opportunity than any other nation on earth. No wonder everyone wants to come here. No one should hate America if they hold a biblical worldview. I want our children and our grandchildren to grow up understanding that ours is a nation of freedom, that the governing authorities have their authority by God's permissive will and by the Constitution, and that our Constitution is the oldest in operation anywhere on the globe, and our Constitution has as its basis biblical truth. The freedom we enjoy is not granted by the Constitution, but rather the Constitution is designed to limit the government from taking our God-given rights. The gospel flourishes under liberty, and while persecution may force the truly devoted to become truly radical, persecution is not preferable. Because Jesus says when trouble and persecution comes, those without truly deep roots will flake away. If people can't make disciples under the incredibly low bar of freedom, we can't expect them to make disciples under the incredibly difficultly high bar of persecution. So, tonight, when you light your fireworks and when you stand under and you see them exploding and cascading through the sky, when you hear the anthem played, when you hear the patriotic music swell, when you light your sparklers, when you set your fireworks off, when you enjoy your barbecue, when you eat your watermelon, when you drink your sweet tea, when you're celebrating with your friends and your family, and tonight as darkness comes and the lights fire up, and the fireworks explode, I want you to thank God that you live here in America. Because right here in these United States, you get to do that, and no one tells you to stop. And if they do, they're violating the governing authorities. I want you to thank America, that you, that, thank God that you live in America, a country where you can go to church without reprisal, without being arrested, Without being told you can't kill. This isn't China or Canada. This is America. And in America, we have the First Amendment. You don't get to tell me to stop doing church. That's the governing authority. And we need to stand, we need to educate, and we need to teach our children to love America, to love the Declaration, to love the Constitution, to love the flag, to stand for it, to put your hand on your heart, to vote when you're 18, to get out there, to get off the sideline, to change the lives of people around us. Why? Not because we love America, but because we love our heavenly country. And because we love our heavenly country, we want everyone in our earthly country to join us in that country to come in heaven. And they have a better chance of doing so under the conditions of freedom than any other condition. So take the freedom that you have, open your Bible, share it with them, invite them to church, and make disciples like Christ commanded us to do. And in America, it gets done faster and easier than any place in the world, or at least it could, if Christians will embrace their calling as citizens of heaven, ambassadors of Christ to America.